Hey, are you looking to evolve to a higher level of existence? To practically harness spirituality and personal growth in a crazy, busy, imperfect world? Then you've come to the right place. My name is Prash and this is Urban Spirituality, the show which fuses ancient wisdom with contemporary spiritual practices to deliver value-adding tools, traits, and insights to help you live your fullest potential. We always keep it real, featuring authentic, unfiltered dialogue with guests from diverse backgrounds to inspire, entertain, and enlighten all who listen. So get ready for your dose of urban spirituality. Be present and let's dive in. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Urban Spirituality. I'm your host, Prash K, and I am delighted to have with me an exceptionally well-traveled soul who brings an aspect of her journey to us on this show. She has worn many hats in her life. She's been a banker, a dancer, an actor, also a writer. She's lived and worked in different parts of this beautiful planet. She's also an author working on a spiritual memoir, which is soon to be published, as well as a full-time broadcaster with a podcast of her own, the delightfully named Date Your Ego, Marry Your Soul, there's so much more to hear from her. Please put your hands together for the unique Serafina Salvador. Serafina, <laughs> welcome. Oh, thank you, Prash. Thank you for that introduction. How are you today? I'm delightful. I'm happy. Woken up extra early. The sun is shining and there's sunlight just hitting my balcony. So I'm really happy. Mm, sounds like you're blessed. <laughs> Serafina, you've joined us here. I think you're um, based in London at the moment. Is that right? I am, yes. I live in southwest London in a little neighborhood that's quite leafy and green, which I love too. Okay. So what occupies you? most of your time in the leafy green suburb in southwest london these days <laughs> well a couple of things on the physical realm i love to go for runs and i also am a buddy to dogs so i look after mm. dogs so it allows me to do two things that i love spend time with animals and be in nature but um in life, I'm more of a uh, spiritual student. I spend my time studying spiritual texts. I'm also an author in waiting. Um, I'm, I've just submitted a book proposal to Hay House in the UK. And um, I am looking for the appropriate home for my spiritual memoir. Spiritual and, memoirs. Let me... Let, yeah, I want to. Uh, you, you said something real nice. I just like that phrase. An author in waiting. So look, you know, I've always felt this that most of us have some kind of story to tell. All of us have some kind of story to tell, and most of us could, given the opportunity, probably puts put that to paper and maybe write something. What for yourself in your life has been the driving force or reason for you to? put pen to paper and put a book out there? I think, I think I do genuinely believe and have seen in my life that we're all very connected um, as a planet and beings on this planet. Mm -hmm. 
And I feel when the connection reaches a certain strength, you're almost, you know, forced or even compelled or even inspired to communicate in a more sort of um, material way. So you go out there, uh, you can communicate with the world in different ways. You can write a book, you can make a film, you can write a play, you could start a podcast. Mm -hmm. But it's it's about really just giving that connection uh, a format really and uh, feeling that pull from within you to connect with people to that extent that you know you're forced almost to stop everything in your life and just sit down and write and so for me it was a very much spontaneous strong emotion to put pen to paper so i want to touch on the title of your book it's it's one of the most compelling and attention-grabbing titles I've certainly come across in recent times. Your book is entitled, well, you tell everybody what it's entitled. I, I just love it. Well, as an author in waiting, I um, have titled my book, Date Your Ego, Marry Your Soul. Uh, I feel um, with publishers i'm told that you have to not be too attached to the title mm. of your book because they tend to want to market it in different ways but of course. message from my heart came out in these words so it's quite an authentic feeling mm-hmm. behind the title so yeah date your ego marry your soul and can you give us a little insight into what this creation of yours is about Yeah, of course. I mean, it first sort of started with a play I wrote for um, London and Scottish stages. And that was titled Don't Blame the Bankers, Stupid. And it was a dramedy, a comedy and a drama about bankers, uh, one of the most hated segments of society, as my research pointed out. Mm -hmm. And it was about revealing that even the most hated part of society actually is human and there is the there is humanity behind those headlines those big numbers so it sort of started there and the the aim of the play was to uh you know bring compassion to a problem to bring understanding to a profession Mm -hmm. rather than the hatred that i was seeing in um news headlines And when I finished that play, Mm -hmm. uh, it got produced as an audio play. One day I was listening to it and I thought, wow, I think, (laughs) you know, there's... There's there's something there, right? There's there's a message there that needs to to be transformed into something that can go wider. Exactly. And all of my writing is spiritual and material. So the play was also spiritual and material. And I was sitting there and I went... The reason that people come across as negative, I'm just going to use the word negative as a Mm -hmm. blanket for all emotions like arrogance or, you know, rich or wealthy or whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, Any emotion that is less desirable. That is less desirable, that is not attractive, that is not comforting in any way. Mm -hmm. Um, Comes from the ego, comes from being too attached to your ego. But then at the same time, your ego is so important. 
because it allows you to function in this world. You know, you and I are talking right now. It's because it our hard. egos are functioning and we have our careers. We have your, you have a meeting you're going to go to. I have another meeting. It's all because of the ego. So it's important. Um, and, but it's important to realize there's a distinction and that you have many versions to yourself. Right. So that's when this whole idea of, you know, like your ego, understand it, but mm. don't get so attached to it that you lose yourself in it. That was the idea that came to me. And I realized that when I was younger, I'd date guys, but, you know, you wouldn't mm -hmm. date, um, you wouldn't marry every guy you date. Um, completely, there's a, completely. Yeah, and it's the same for anybody. So it's also with ideas, you know, you date ideas and then you marry one or you, it's I the like same that. thing. I like that. Backtrack, just say that again. That, that, that was, that was, I think that was really quite profound. You date ideas, but you don't, but you, you date many ideas, right? But you know, we don't necessarily embrace them all. We, we hone in on one and then we marry that one. It, it is to life, right? It is to courting. Uh, it, that is to every aspect. I mean, this could be applied to so many aspects in our life, right? Exactly. And it, it allows us to really understand the contradiction that us human beings are. Uh, you've hit that important word, the big C, contradiction. How many people out there, and I know people like this, and you probably do too, who live life think in black and white, forgetting that life is gray. And then they try and treat, give the black and white treatment to a gray life. And therefore it's like, it's got to be this way or it's that way. Uh, okay. If it's not this, it's that. And you know, how many people have suffered in relationships because they judge the other person with a black and white filter rather than recognizing that we live in a world of grays. People do have imperfections. People are contradictions. And <laughs> as much as there are negatives in somebody like a banker, there are positives too. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think uh, your profession shouldn't define um, how people think of you because, right. because your economic status is never only uh, benefiting you. You know, often bankers have a whole family or a set of people. They, mm -hmm. they employ uh, staff in their homes, maybe. I don't know. Sure. But, you know, they support a ton of people with that money that they earn. Right. Uh, so it's, and that's one segment of society. There right. are lawyers, there are doctors, and everyone supports each other. We're all in one giant circle of support. So why why waste our time with blame? Right. I fully agree. And, I, you know, what, what you're speaking to evokes the importance of uh, expanding our consciousness. Uh, and that, of course, is, you know, our, our ego as well. That is to say, refining our ego and... Is it not, Serafina, a lot to do with expanding our consciousness so that we uh, give consideration to the world around us beyond just our immediate sphere? We recognize that we're part of that bigger, bigger play, that bigger story, uh, and that what we do could have effect for people in circles wider than us, and that we're responsible for our improving our conduct because we are always a part of something bigger? Absolutely. And I think that... When it comes, if you talk about what you just mentioned in regards to the ego, I think mm -hmm. life is one big strip show. You're constantly stripping away, stripping away until you get to your real self. 
And um, the more you realize that your real self is sexless, ageless, I don't know, genderless, mm-hmm. professionless, the more you realize how connected you are to ev- that plant outside your window or the mm. ocean or the, or, you know, the whole living sort of energy of this world is the same. If you think about it, we all have one, th- two things in common. We're born and we die. So that you cannot take away from all the living beings on this planet. We might differ totally. in species in, um, you know, uh, our level of development, but that is the one thing that we have in common with everything on this planet. So Completely. when you strip away your various level layers of identity, you realize that, ah, there's actually this energy that sustains me. And that's what you should focus on. Not you should, but it's helpful to do it. Well, you know, I think you hit a very fair point. Of course, it's helpful to do that. I'm curious to know what in your background has led you to such profound realizations. I mean, (laughs) you could have been a regular banker, you know, from a corporate background and lived a typical material life. If there even is such a thing as a regular banker, you know what I mean? You could have been a typical corporate professional, but it seems, uh, and if I recall a little bit about your background, you were raised uh, in a sort of Eastern tradition. And I'm curious to hear a little bit about that and, and what in, in, in those years shaped you to be the more conscientious and spiritually more awakened being that I'm speaking to now. <laughs> yeah, that's um, actually one of the aspects of my life that I'm most grateful for. You know, it is said, um, sorry, it is said that we actually choose our parents, you know, mm. our soul chooses our parents based on what it mm-hmm. intends to achieve in this lifetime. Okay. And the parents that I chose came from two separate worlds. You know, my mom is a spiritual soul and my father is, um, well, I wouldn't say he's just a material soul, but he's not the kind of person that will leave his family and move to the Himalayas and become mm-hmm. a seeker, which is right. what my mom did. My mom moved to the Himalayas in the eighties when we were kids to study Vedic philosophy. You know, it was quite a, um, it was quite a, uh, <laughs> revolutionary thing for a woman to do in the eighties. Right. I mean, well, I, yeah. to leave your family and, and, and go to the Himalayas, study Vedic philosophy, by the way, Vedic for our listeners, by that, you mean the study of the Vedas and the literature associated with the Vedas, which are the oldest texts known to mankind, right? Exactly. Um, and it all started with her, uh, with her yoga practice. Okay. She, got so, she got so drawn to yoga, she went mm-hmm. to a school in India and trained as a teacher. Right. And she studied the Vedas. And, you know, us as kids, we sort of, were brought up by my grandparents and my father and we had a lot of love right. but this influence of philosophy sort of continued in our life mm-hmm. and we would often make trips to ashrams and meet ah. gurus and 
of course, um, at home as well, there was a lot of influence of God, but it was a normal household. You know, it wasn't like my mom, we'd see her dressed in, you know, orange. Worship clothes or something. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So it was, that's where it all sort of started. The seeds were planted very early in our life. Um, And so uh, that's where it all began. And from there, mm-hmm. I sort of moved on and life continued. Education. Right. Got an education, got to earn a living, all those things. Exactly. That had to continue. So that's, that's where you're uh, sort of meeting me at the precipice of me having gone the full circle, done the education, done the career, and sort of come back to my roots uh, that are very spiritual. So that that kind of makes me really <clears throat> compelled to want to know what spiritual, esoteric, uh, philosophical practices have you kind of acquired or imbibed in those years that have kind of stayed with you and still nourish you today? Um. I think the Vedic philosophy um, is very much about understanding your origins as a human being. Um, It's very much about understanding the essence of living. You know, Sanatana Dharma Mm. uh, is very much one of the core values of the Vedas. And it's about um, understanding that there is, well, they don't, they don't talk about, they do. I mean, the Vedas don't have any problem. The Sanskrit texts talking about gods and, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, you also have the Vedas that then divide up into the Upanishads and the right. Arshanas. Um, so I think the, the main philosophy behind it is, is the essence of living and right. That there is an essence of living and that you must be drawn to it and understand that there's more than your material life. Mm-hmm. That was the main message for me. And how do you access this essence of life? It's, um, it's through mantras. It's through study of texts. It's mm-hmm. through meditation. It's through yoga. So I kind of got introduced to the various ways to live your life live on your a physical, life. mental, and emotional level um, mm. to access this sense that we all sort of have. Well, that, that, you know, you, you raise again, another profound point. If I remember my studies in Sanskrit and ancient Eastern literature, rightly, the very first verse of the Vedanta Sutra, widely regarded as one of the, most important text of the ancient Vedic tradition uh, says Atato Brahma Jignasa, that now is the time to inquire about the absolute and one's relation to that supreme source. Now is the time, Atato Brahma Jignasa, to inquire. And didn't Socrates say it a good few thousand years later that an unexamined life is not worth living? Exactly. Um, I think. I, I, I'm not familiar with the verse, but uh, the message that you just spoke of is 
so succinct in that. Right. We're forgetting this and we're getting caught up doing our thing. And, and, you know, if there's anything that's coming through to me, uh, you're hearing this and certainly for our audience, this is urban spirituality. After all, we're not here to make monks out of people. Well, unless people want to be monks, we're here to empower people with and infuse their lives with spiritual tools that can help them in their journey. So that's, that's a message right there, right? Nobody's saying here that you need to retire from being a banker or whatever you're doing, but there has to be that fundamental query to say, Hey, what's this all about? What am I, what is actually my role in this life? Not just my role in my family and my immediate friend and circle, but actually what am I here to do? What is my path? And it seems to me that those are the, some of the questions that have driven you, uh, despite you know, having a material career and all those things. And would it be fair to say that those are the very things that are driving you towards this uh, crossroads in your life now? Yes, I think uh, I definitely, everything that I'd studied in the Himalayas, all the philosophy um, has definitely been confirmed through my, my life on the trading flow, funnily enough, because <laughs> I think the trade, on the trading flow, you know, you get to see, uh, um, you get to see humanity at its core because people don't have time to pretend, right. you know, the stress, the performance pressure, the right. accuracy, um, accuracy of, um, work that is expected off of you you're just mm -hmm. yourself you're just your 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 you come you bring to the trading floor part of you that is without any pretense whatsoever mm -hmm. so just noticing the energy of people and how they act and behave um confirms so many things about our nature as human beings that i'd studied in these texts phenomenal um if there was by the way, I just, I just love that from the Himalayas to the trading floor. <laughs> if there was ever a, a, a polar opposite, right? Uh, you, you're taking all that spiritual wisdom that you learn in the Himalayas and somehow finding a way to process that and then see how it can be applied in, in, in that kind of city environment. And clearly you must've had some realizations along the way, uh, which is why I want to delve a tiny bit deeper and ask you about your daily rituals are there any or weekly rituals are there any particular rituals that help you to stay centered and focused whilst in a corporate career that allow you to retain that sense of transcendence yes i mean i think for me i've always uh since i'm a child for some reason been very connected to prayer mm -hmm. um, and mantras actually have been mm. my gateway into my connection. Uh, you know, totally I've always, I've always been very connected to sound and I've always been, I've studied Sanskrit too. And I don't do it now. So don't ask me <laughs> no. anything, but you know, I was going to ask you that's cool. Um, but, um, sound and the vibration that mantras create is second to none. I mean, you could sit in a room uh, by yourself, have your headphones on and have Om or any Sanskrit mantra playing and you will be transported. You will find a connection to yourself that will give you so much strength 
um, in moments of strain or in moments of even quiet that you don't, you couldn't really find it through any other means such as going to the gym or a yoga class even. I feel like mantras have that transformative power within mm -hmm. them. So while I go to work, I would, I would actually, in the tube, I would read my mantras or listen okay. to them. And that would be my way of connecting. So the first thing in the morning when you get dressed, there's something special about having that connection. Rather than going on to your favorite show that you've downloaded onto your iPad, if you connect right. with a mantra that you choose, it's a great way to start your day. And that's how I did it. You, by connecting with mantras, by connecting to the divine, by, to, by connecting to the source through the use of mantras? Yes, I think more than to the source, to myself. You know, when you, when you work in a job that's really busy, you get to work and it's all go, 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 go. Right. You don't really have time. You don't have time to be a human being. You don't have time to think of your emotions. You're just go, go, go. Right. A lot of nurses have that same kind of jobs. A&E professionals have that same kind of job. Lots right, of people. Yeah. Super real time. So, you know, there's, there's yeah. time to process or be in a sort of a reflective mood, right? Or reflective mode. Um, exactly. And so because of that, you kind of have to look after yourself because it's, it's, it's actually your human self that's doing that go, 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 go. It's your human self that's driving the energy behind that go, go, go. Right. So that human self, how are you nourishing it? You know? Right. And, 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 and the ritual or the practice of, uh, of introducing the chanting of mantras in one's own safe space on a regular basis is a means to almost apply brakes uh, like handbrakes to the rush, rush, rush of life. Right. Um, are there any particular mantras that you'd care to share that the audience could experiment with? Uh, you mean from the Vedic tradition or do you mean from what I, from your personal practice or, or the Vedic tradition that you think as a listener to this, somebody who's new to this would want to consider or explore? Yes, yeah, sure. I mean, look, my spiritual practice has evolved. I embrace um, Buddhism uh, and I embrace the Lotus Sutra, which is a Mahayana teaching of Buddhism. Uh, and as you know, Buddhism spread from India to uh, China to Japan and has now moved to the West. Right. Um, and the mantra that I chant now uh, is Nam Myoho Renge Kyo, and that is the title of the Lotus Sutra. Right. This is the first, uh, first, if I recall, one of the first verses in the Lotus Sutra. It is the first. That mantra. It is. And, and it's, it's um, a very simple mantra. So Nam is actually a Sanskrit word. Mm -hmm. uh, which is salutation. Myoho refers to the law of cause and effect. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, Renge stands for lotus flower. Right. And the mystical uh, significance of the lotus in Eastern traditions, of course. Many yes. Are the unfolding of consciousness, chakras, so on and so forth. Exactly. I mean, there is another significance to it, but I'll just finish with the last word, kyo, is creative expression. Mm -hmm. So if you go nam myoho renge kyo, you're essentially saying salutations to the law of cause and effect. And the renge kyo is essentially uh, almost 
honoring you as the human being. So human beings and the lotus flower have a very intimate connection. The lotus flower is the only flower that actually is the blossom and also contains mm -hmm. the potential for the blossom. So there are seeds in the lotus flower that actually sprout another lotus flower. And if you think of us human beings, we are the same because I am me and I have the potential within me to create another human being, as do you. Right. So we are, we, totally. we are very much like the lotus flower. And that's why the connection exists across all spiritual texts. And as you know, in the Vedic philosophy as well, the lotus flower is revered. And this is the reason. Um, so Renge refers to the lotus blossom. So you as a human yeah. being, mm -hmm. sorry, you as a human being have this very mystic and intense connection with the law of cause and effect mm -hmm. because you are creation and you can create. So every time you say Namyo Renge Kyo, you're literally just giving salutations to the law of cause and effect that you are always connected to and mm -hmm. also honoring the beauty that you are as a human being. So when you honor something and the beauty in something, it gets enhanced. So the more I chant Nam Myoho Renge Kyo, the more I enhance the beauty of my life and the beauty of me being a human being, you know? So oh. it's that essence we talked about earlier. So that's what I use now. Really profound. <laughs> And also the uh, insight into that meaning of lotus. Uh, I really appreciate that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, that makes me think about uh, the aha moment. I, for me, that was an aha, hearing that expression of the lotus. So can you share an aha moment, uh, an epiphany moment in your own life that has shaped who you are today? <laughs> well, that's always a really tricky question because whatever you pick, you know, people will feel like, oh my God, was that her aha moment? Like, you know, really? sometimes, but that's the thing. <laughs> aha moments can be the most trivial. We had, uh, we had an interview recently with somebody who, it was the, the most simple aha moment uh, that they had was uh, seeing their child um, nurse um, its mother um, when it fell, when, when she fell, when she kind of tripped down or something. And just seeing the compassion in a three-year-old child's um, heart, I guess, to attempt to, you know, very feebly, uh, but nevertheless attempt to nurse uh, his mother, just completely changed the direction of that person's life. I mean, he changed his profession. He realized that it's all about caring. So sometimes the trivialest things can become aha moments, right? Yeah, you're right. And I think, well, just flowing from that, really, one day I was at Hampstead Heath and um, it was in this period where I'd been signed off from work and, you know, life because it, uh, the stress had gone mm -hmm. too much for me. And I saw um, this woman, uh, you know, by the pond um, uh, in Hampstead Heath just was waiting there and in Hampstead Heath people the sun's out people are in the pond they don't care you know sun Hampstead Heath pond jump in that's it 
And she kept waiting and I was sitting there at the back and I kept looking at this woman. She mm-hmm. kept waiting and waiting and she was staring at everyone. I was just like, why isn't she getting in? Right. And right. then it was just like this moment of craziness where you could, you know, when you sense something in the mm-hmm. distance, she literally got up and she had a little wrap around uh, around her waist. She threw it away and she ran into the pond just when no one was looking. <laughs> into the pond. And she, yeah. And she jumped right in and she was really happy when she got in, you know, and I just realized for some reason in that moment, that she wasn't taking the plunge, obviously, because she was conscious of her body or, you know, uh, yeah, whatever. All, all, all those sensitive factors, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. And, of course, you don't think that's a big deal to you, but you don't know how another human being's feeling about that, right? And she did this. She got in. She was really happy. And I was just like, oh, my God, for some reason, that act of hers reminded me of what I was doing in my life. Um, By then, I had become, you know, the perfect sort of daughter, the perfect. I was married then, a Mm -hmm. wife. I'd been a successful banker. I was Mm -hmm. doing everything. Like that Um, society kind of, uh, you know, expected if you or, or, or that society would pat you on the back for saying, oh, yeah, that's the right thing, Serafina. Exactly. And also going beyond. I think we also in the 21st century have this habit of going yeah. beyond what people expect. I right. think it's a lot to do with the media, probably, or yeah. people that get interviewed. They're like, you know, I work my ass off. I did right. this. I did that. And you kind of think you have to go beyond. Right. Overachieving, right? The, that curse of overachieving. Yeah. And you don't. You really don't. But I had been signed off from my life. A doctor had to tell me that you cannot live your life the way you're living it at the moment for me to understand that. And for that woman to jump in, I don't know, for some reason, the mm-hmm. combination made me realize that I needed to stop my life as it was. Mm-hmm. And I needed to have the courage to listen to my heart. And my heart told me to, to, to change my relationship, to change my career, to change my life as I knew it. I hadn't Imagine. seen the sun, you know, I hadn't wow. seen the sun in the UK. So I literally did each and every one of those things. And if you think about it, uh-huh. the act of getting a divorce, the act of quitting a career, the top of your game. Right. Um, not knowing what to do. Um, you know, they're very scary things to embrace. For anyone, for anyone, absolutely. So, but- I mean, for me, that was a definite big defining moment when I took that courage and I leapt off from a cliff. I didn't know where I was going, but yes, it was a defining moment. Yeah, on that point, you know, <laughs> I, I just wish more people would have such aha moments. Who was it? Was it the actor Tom Hanks who said, uh, you know, recently, you know, I wish everybody would get rich and super famous so that they realize that that's not what it's all about. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. people are trapped, right? (laughs) People need that aha moment. They do. I think also they need to stop uh, letting the media tell them what is right and wrong. Because if you don't buy a magazine, mm-hmm. 
you won't think you need to do certain things to be happy. And if you don't watch the news and don't believe the news rather, you know, use your own common sense. And if you connect with yourself, you'll know what is right and wrong. Yeah, I think that's an important point. You've, you've just touched on three points close to my heart. One, filtering the sources of information uh, about life that come to us, being choosy and deciding for our own selves where we take our sources of information from. So, you know, like you say, you can choose to hear the news you want to hear. You don't have to listen to the default things. Number two, learning to basically use our intellect that underutilized muscle that we all have between our two ears but we're not using enough our mind may be used and our brain may be used in our day job in you know in our hobbies whatever but the intellect that's a specific thing that requires disconnection as you say from the hecticness of life and reconnecting with oneself whether it be through mantra or through other practices in daily living other rituals which allow the intellect to breathe and to express itself and to start being used right mm-hmm. exactly and it's so, about which direction you take it in isn't it that's your responsibility as a right. human being yeah but so many people hey hang on so many people exonerate that is what did you what did you say earlier you know you were living the life as a you know the perfect wife the perfect employee the perfect daughter you were fulfilling the roles that you were kind of almost living life that other people had programmed you to do whether directly deliberately or undeliberately but you were kind of living a pattern a blueprint that was already almost set for you how you know how do you break out of that mm-hmm. i think I think it's kind of like um, buying something new um, in terms of what you eat almost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the most basic <laughs> way I can put it across because it's a yeah, nice analogy. If, yeah. If you, if you, if you like steak and you eat it a certain way and you found your way, you know, you go to a restaurant, you're thinking about your steak, this, that. It takes a lot of courage to then think, oh, actually, this red meat thing's not really working out for me, you know. Mm-hmm. It yeah. takes a lot of courage, but it has to come from a realization deep inside you that right. um, doesn't agree with your happiness anymore. And I think until that realization happens that doesn't agree with your happiness, you're never going to make a change. I just know this from the bottom of my soul. Until the realization yeah. happens you know, that doesn't agree with your happiness, you're never going to change. Maybe to use your own language until that realization happens, we're going to be constantly married to our ego and maybe (laughs) (laughs) rather than the other way around. Right. (laughs) Let's talk about, let's talk about some tips here. You you know, let's give the audience some things, some tools that can help them on this journey to help to, you know, divorce the ego a little bit and learn to marry the soul. Share us a few tips. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I think first of all, um, it's about becoming aware that there are different versions of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a version of you that's listening to this and, you know, uh, taking the information. And then there's a version of you that's Uh, going to go to work there's a version of you that happens when you're in love when you sleep Mm -hmm. try and recognize what those versions are and what they stand for the difference between your ego and your soul will become so apparent 
Mm. The difference between your positive and negative emotions will become so apparent. Your definitions for what is your ego and what is your soul will become clearer and clearer. Mm. But not until you become aware that there are different versions of you and you need to want to get to know them. So I think the first thing is awareness. Right. Um, and I think an important thing in, 20, in 21st century life is making friends with your anger. I think anger is a very powerful force and energy that unfortunately is not used in the right way in the world we live in. I know because now that I don't work, <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't well, have trading unquote, where people work in the conventional way, right? In in the in the conventional way, yes. Mm -hmm. I don't have a trading floor where we are being um, angry with each other in an organized manner, which is mm. what that is really. But yeah. I see road rage. I see housewives, and I see their anger, and I see, you know, this energy that's being used in the wrong way. So. I think that if you make friends with that anger and that mm -hmm. energy, you'll be able to understand what provokes you. Mm -hmm. You'll be able to gauge what effects that anger has, whether mm -hmm. they're positive or negative. And you'll be able to then, once you recognize it, emotionally mm -hmm. detach from it. And when you emotionally detach from your anger, you're emotionally detaching from your ego, in my experience. So the second thing is to make friends with your anger, get to know it, understand mm -hmm. it. Uh, in fact, one of my examples is the other day I was at a traffic light and this okay. guy behind me pulled up in a car and he beeped really hard. And I was like, dude, where did you want me to go? But instead of doing that, I literally did a namaste and I put it up to my rear view mirror and I looked <laughs> at him and he burst out laughing. Oh, wow. <laughs> because, because he was nice. just like, what is wrong with this woman, you know? Right. So the ripple effect of that could have been, I, I could have said, fuck you, motherfucker, but I yeah. didn't. You could you have. Know? So many of us could probably would have. A namaste goes a long way in a situation. I like of that. Namaste goes a long way. I, yeah. A long way. You know, yeah. We say that wish and peace. One of my Reiki, one of my Reiki teacher friends says, hey, don't get angry when you're on the road. Just wish them well and just move on. Otherwise, you're going to, you're going to, tie that energy you're going to invest unnecessary energy down there you know don't do that yeah and i found that the namaste actually was so unexpected in that circumstance that it just it totally disbanded my so-called enemy you know people like go to war on the road like they do um, so yeah the second thing is make friends with your anger and then i think the third thing would be really just Something simple I do, um, just talking to yourself and telling yourself that you recognize your soul, that you love it, and you accept its presence. Mm -hmm. um, I think just a recognition of your soul, accepting it, and understanding that you actually are in its presence, presence sorry, mm -hmm. can transform your life quite a bit. Um, That's massive. And take you yeah. Take you from dating your ego and marrying your soul. You know, that's a very key element. If you just accept that you're in the presence of your own soul. Right. You can date your ego and then marry your soul. Which is, which is really the crux of, 
you know, a very important message for all of us, right? Because it, we pretty much do, most of us do have it the other way around. That is exactly what we do. We are married to our ego. Most of us are. We're in, re, we're in reaction in this world. The world puts us in a position, this life, that we're constantly working on the ego platform. And that ego doesn't necessarily mean a dirty word that, you know, somebody's got a big ego. It's just the fact that we're overutilizing that aspect of our being. Or if we're operating from a position of ego, whether it's a good or a bad ego, then we're doing that to the detriment of our core, our core essence, which is the soul. And, and I guess that's the message that people need to get out. The connection strategies you talked about, embracing namaste, uh, meditating, adding the power of mantra, some self-reflection, uh, not kind of turning on and listening to all the news and feeding oneself with a different kind of diet, if you can call it that, a different uh, mental food. Those are all strategies to help uh, reconnect one with the soul, right? To, to, to help to marry, remarry the, ourselves with the soul, rejoin ourselves or taking it back to what we said, yoga, you know, the word yoga means to unite. And that really is the essence of what the yogic tradition was. It wasn't just to do exercises to improve our health, physical health, well-being, and postures. Yoga was to unite one with one source and with oneself, right? Indeed, indeed. It's, it's not to have the yoga bum as a lot of people. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better, sir. <laughs> All right, listen, I could ask you uh, once, one quick fire question. If Serafina, with all her banking background, with all her travels around the world, staying in different places, including the Himalayas and the trading mm -hmm. floor, if that Serafina today had a superpower, what would that superpower be and what would you do with it? Um... My superpower is to replace every negative thought I have with a positive one. And mm. I, think, I think with that, I would reduce um, bit by bit the negativity in the world I have the great good fortune to live in. So that's a superpower I try and cultivate actually so i don't have it yet profound i like it because that's a superpower that's not beyond i mean yeah you could have said i i, I if i had a superpower i wish i could manifest millions of dollars and you know help the world or if i if i could i just lift poverty away those are while they're super noble they're not easily achievable for most people right they're not the most practical but a superpower about converting negative thoughts or let me use the phrase that all important phrase transmute you know if you if if that superpower is embraced to transmute negative thinking into positive wow that's a superpower we could all try try to embrace right Mm -hmm, indeed i i like it and, and, and i think the world needs to hear more of this seraphina i want to I want to thank you for enlightening to the, all of us on this show today with the power of reconsidering how we utilize this thinking vessel that we have between our heads and the importance of aha moments in our lives and about this distinction about our ego versus our soul and the importance of learning to detach ourselves a little bit from the ego in a healthy way and embrace those spiritual practices. I can't wait to hear more about your book. In the meantime, if people want to know and learn more about you, 
is there anywhere they can go? Oh, yes, absolutely. So um, part of this year's uh, contribution from my side is the soulcobbler.com. Um, this uh, com is soulcobbler.com uh, yes by the way it is uh, a neutral online spiritual resource that I'm putting out there for the world and it consists of uh, podcasts blogs book reviews uh, various spiritual techniques that people can follow to connect with themselves without necessarily joining a church temple or organization mm -hmm. Um, so it's very neutral, it's very humanistic, and it's all about the soul. And um, that's why it's called soulcobbler.com. And people can reach me through that. Uh, the Facebook page will be live soon. We're launching on the 24th of May. So mm -hmm. we'll be ready to take any questions from them. Good. And I am not mistaken that we're soon going to get to hear good content coming out from yourself with your own podcast of course yes prash there is a podcast and it is the same <laughs> title as my book <laughs> so marry <laughs> made your ego but marry your soul it's coming your way folks so watch out for that as well we'll share details of course in due course seraphina one more time i want to thank you for being with us sharing your wisdom shining your light revealing some gems and some distinctions that I think will help all of us on our positive journeys going forward. It's been a pleasure having you. Thanks for being on Urban Spirituality. Thank you so much for an opportunity to share our common light. Thank you. All the best now. Namaste. Namaste. <laughs> hey folks, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode and as with all our episodes, found something to inform, inspire and empower you in your spiritual and personal journeys in life. As always, if you enjoyed it, feel free to leave a little love through your ratings and comments, share it with those who you care about and take your personal and spiritual evolution to the next level by joining us on one of our events, workshops or retreats. Find out more about us at mantratherapy.co.uk. I'm your host, Prash K. This is Urban Spirituality, and we will catch you on the next episode.